in my years of sharing the gospel, one of the most difficult things for me to understand is why people do the most foolish thing of all and reject Jesus Christ and his offer of eternal life. If there are only two options for us when we die, heaven or hell, then why would anyone reject Jesus in heaven? Now, I have some ideas about why people make such a foolish decision. Number one, people don't believe there's a heaven and hell. Number two, people don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Three, people don't think about their eternal destiny. They're only concerned with what this life has to offer. I really believe the last answer is the one I see most common. Most people are focused on this life, and they're not considering the eternal destiny of their soul. Just think about around you what you hear every day. You hear in the media, inflation, high gas prices, sanctuary cities, illegal immigration, political corruption, and all these things are important news to know, but not the most important thing. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands for how long? Forever. And what has God told us in his word? The writer of Hebrews said, as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So, according to the word of God that will last forever, when everything else is gone, God's word is going to last forever. According to the word of God, we live, we die, and we face the judgment. That's, that's what the Bible says. That's what God said. We live, we die, we face God. So if everyone's going to stand before God for judgment, and Jesus is the only way to be saved from that terrible judgment, then knowing and honoring Jesus should be the most important thing to us, shouldn't it? Yet in my observation, my own observation, after years of spending time preaching the gospel, nine out of ten people do not honor Jesus, not even when they've been blessed by his goodness. Now that's what we see in the Bible story we will study this morning. As we continue our sermon series on the people Jesus encountered and we look at the wonderful mercy of God. Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. And let's look at this together. The, in our series, we've entitled Person of Interest. And if you have your Bibles and you're willing and able, would you stand and let's honor the Word this morning. And I want to start reading in verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, 
who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where were there not found any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for your blessings, for your love and your mercy, the joy of knowing you. Father, I would just pray that you'd give me the strength to share the message that you've laid on my heart. This message has already been preached to Donnie Lovett. You gave it to me. You opened your word to my mind and gave me what I need to say today. I pray, give me the strength to do it. I know the ragweed and everything is really affecting my voice, and I just pray, God, give me the strength to say what I need to say, to communicate to the people who will listen, so that your Holy Spirit can teach us all something about how to be grateful for your mercy and about the meaning of true faith in you. Lord, I pray that if someone's listening and they're not, and they don't know you, they don't have eternal life, and heaven waiting for them, I pray, God, today would be the day when they hear this message that the Holy Spirit would touch their heart, would draw them to repentance so that they could call out on Jesus and be saved. That'd be my greatest desire, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Person of interest. Our story takes place as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for what would be his last Passover. He was making a journey. He was walking on his way, going from east to west as he made his way through Samaria and Galilee and he's making a trick heading for Jerusalem because he knew what was ahead for him. It would be in Jerusalem that he would be falsely accused, betrayed, beaten, just mutilated, that he would hang on the cross and bleed and die as a sacrifice for our sins. He was on his way, and as he went, people were all around him, following him, <clears throat> reaching out in prayer and calling upon him for help. Luke 17, 11 says, It happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Jesus, again, surrounded by a lot of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, everywhere he went. His fame had spread. The Bible says that he was known, well known. People have been fed by him, been healed by him, been touched by him. So as Jesus made his way through, all this crowd of people were following him as he went through Samaria and Galilee on his way to Judea, to Jerusalem. As he traveled, he encountered a lot of sick people, but especially 
a group of lepers, 10 lepers, verse 12. Then as Jesus entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. Leprosy was a term in the Bible applied to a number of skin disorders, including the dreaded Hansen's disease. That's what we call real leprosy. Real leprosy, or Hansen's disease, is, is caused by an airborne bacteria which enters the body and causes nerve damage, especially in the extremities, such as the hands and feet. The bacteria would show up on the outside of the body with bumps and skin lesions forming. The loss of feeling to the extremities, to the fingers and toes, hands and feet, would often lead to injuries. And the disease would cause, with, with the loss of, uh, of feeling in the hands and feet and injury, oftentimes lepers were seen without fingers, without toes without hands and feet. When I went to India, I saw lepers, the result of leprosy. I saw people without arms and legs because leprosy was something that had not been eradicated in that country. In America, there's, there's not very much of it anymore because we have medicine to take care of it. But when Jesus walked this earth, they didn't have medication for it. They didn't have a cure for it. Nothing short of a miracle could stop leprosy. Now, lepers had to live away from villages. That's why these lepers stood far off. They had to live away from people, isolated from their families and friends, alone or with other lepers. So deadly and frightening was the disease that lepers were commanded to cover their faces and cry out, unclean, unclean, anytime they walked the street or they saw someone near them to warn them, stay away from me, I'm a leper and I'm contagious. Whenever a suspicious spot on the skin appeared, a person was required by the Old Testament law to show himself to a priest. Let's see what the Old Testament had to say about leprosy. Leviticus 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore. Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. If the hair on the sore is turned white, and if the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. And then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. That would be a tragedy. What a diagnosis. It was life-changing, life-altering. From that moment on, that person had to get out, away from everything that he knew and loved. But in the event that the spot on the skin might not be leprosy, the law commanded a person to still show himself to the priest for diagnosis. Leviticus 13, 4 through 6. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and its hair is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. And then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore has faded, 
and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only a scab, and the person will wash his clothes and be clean. Wow. In our story, as Jesus headed for Jerusalem, he passed by ten lepers. They had already been to the priest. The priest had already said, you're a leper. You have leprosy. And ten of these men, probably maybe living together in a leper colony or just in, the, in their own little group, they were lepers. They had leprosy. And as Jesus passed by them, they stood far off from Jesus. But they lifted their voices as high as they could. And rather than shout out, unclean, unclean, there was a different cry. Verse 13. And they lifted up their voices and they said, what they ask? Say it with me. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now let's say it louder. Ready? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, that's a far cry from unclean, unclean. It's a far more powerful cry, a cry from the heart. We're not told how these men knew about Jesus, but it's obvious that, obvious that they had heard of Jesus. They addressed him as master, a title of honor, a plea of humility. These 10 men were in the worst condition anyone could be in in those days, a deadly condition. Unless something miraculously changed, these men would die in their leprosy. And let's just stop for a moment. And let's think about that, about how leprosy was a symbol of the sinful condition of mankind. Leprosy began as a bacterial contamination inside a person. And then it showed up on the outside of a person. And it continued to spread until it consumed everything, infected everything, physically, emotionally, relationally. Now, can you imagine how painful it was to have a loved one diagnosed with leprosy and having to leave home, never to be joined with his family again. They would die apart from one another. Can you see how sin affects a heart and shows up on the outside through evil words and wicked deeds? It affects every part of our lives. It separates us from the people we love. Folks, sometimes I was going somewhere the other day and down on the side of a road, I saw someone walking and I just didn't see till I got right up at them and I was hit by. But I saw this poor woman and just to be honest with you, I just, I don't know how to say it other than she looked, she looked terrible, as if the life had almost drained out of her, perhaps from years of living in sin. I don't know that for sure, but I've seen people like that, that living a life of sin and wickedness just not only affects you spiritually, but it affects you physically. And it pulls the life out of you. And that's what the devil does. Folks, the devil doesn't love people who follow him. The devil hates everybody. And he pulls the life out of people. 
He drains them till they have nothing more to give. He consumes them just like leprosy. Sin separating us from people we love. Just think of how many homes and relationships have been broken because sin grew into infidelity, immorality, addiction, violence. Think about how sin from within affects our minds and hands and feet and eyes and tongues and makes us a tool of Satan. Think about how sinful behavior isolates from people we know who are trying to live a Christian life. How it turns a person into an alcoholic or a drug addict or fills their hearts with hatred. Just think of how many people have died as a result of unchecked sin. And think of how many people have chosen to live, foolishly chosen to live in a sinful condition rather than turn to the one who can give them mercy, forgiveness, and life. And they might even admit, I know I'm doing wrong. I know it's destroying me, but I can't get out. There are people like that, right? Just like that. But ten men, when they heard that Jesus was near, they wasted no time trying to get close enough to Jesus that he could hear their cry for mercy. And they, I'm sure they screamed. I don't think I could scream it as loudly as they could today. They were not quiet. They shouted from the top of their lungs, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These men knew that no one else in the world could help them. No one else could save them from this terrible disease and their terrible condition. And friends, today I declare you, to you that there is no one in all the world who can heal you and save you from that terrible infection of sin but Jesus. Jesus. Jesus alone is the healer. Jesus alone is the merciful Savior. When Jesus passed by these men, they didn't start chattering, somebody please help us. They didn't cry out, give me some money. They cried out with all their heart, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Friends, listen, whoever you are, whatever condition in which you find yourself, no matter if you've tried to live a good life or if you've been wicked from birth, the same Jesus who heard the cry of mercy from these ten lepers is completely open to your cry for mercy if you cry to him with all your heart. The Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search, with, search for me with what? All your heart. All your heart. Do you know what I think? I, I think the reason many people never really get to Jesus and experience his power is because they don't seek him and cry to him with all their heart. I, Jesus is a personal savior. He's a personal friend. He's a personal healer. He is a personal God. And the only way to get his attention, I know he, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears open to their cry. I know that. But the only way to really get Jesus 
into your situation with a miracle is to cry out personally with all your heart. Friends, I, I believe in the power of prayer. I've seen miracles with my own eyes. I've been a, a miracle. I've seen, he's done miracles for me, boy. I believe we should pray for others. But Jesus is a personal God who wants to hear from each of us personally. Jesus wants us to pour out our hearts to him, to agonize with him in prayer, to release control of our condition, our situation, our weakness, our sin, and lay ourselves down at his feet in humble surrender so that we say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. You think about what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus, the Son of God, asked his disciples to watch while he went to prayer. Now, did the Father know what was in the heart of the Son? What do you think? Did he? Did he know exactly what was in Jesus' heart? Did Jesus even really have to pray? I mean, God, the Father knew, right? But Jesus prayed. Why did he pray? For our example, right? Now, wouldn't you agree? He asked Peter, James, he took his disciples, but then he asked Peter, James, and John. You know, 11 disciples came. Judas had already gone to do his dirty deed. But Peter, James, and John went a little further with him. He said, just watch. And Jesus got on his knees before his father. And he agonized in prayer. Can you see that picture? On that dark night in the garden, he is agonizing in prayer, and there's a glow there because an angel came and strengthened him. But here's what he said, Luke 22. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in what? Agony. He prayed more earnestly, and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Folks, when was the last time you agonized with God in prayer? When was the last time you were that serious with God that you sweated profusely in prayer? What did you pray? Did you pray, God, I need this, give me what I ask. There's something I need. God, here it is. And you laid it out to God. Is that what you prayed? Or did you pray, Father, I'm not even worthy to call upon your holy name. And there are things in my life that I'm, I'm really struggling right now. But Father, I don't know what to ask for. So I just ask, Father, you know what's best for me. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer, folks, that God hears and answers. These lepers cried out with every bit of strength they had left. And for what did they cry? What was it? One word. Mercy. Mercy. Because they knew Jesus 
was their only hope, and Jesus could grant mercy. This is why so many people today, folks, are not saved. Listen, this is why the world is not saved today. This is why the majority, the vast majority of the world is heading toward an eternal punishment because they do not recognize their need for His mercy. They don't even recognize how sinful they are. The red bumps and lesions of sin are all over them. And they ignore it. They go along with the culture. The culture says something's right. It must be right. It's not right. And the marks of sin are all over them and all in their lives. Just think, they think they're okay. They're secure in their own material position, their own decisions and directions. They think, I don't need anybody, and if I do need, some, need God, I'll call. When I need God, I'll call for Him. But the problem is, with that faulty, foolish thinking, Jesus is not one who can be manipulated, is He? We come to Jesus on His terms, not ours. When we get help from Jesus, we're not deserving of it. He's just graciously supplying it. And that's what we learn from these ten lepers. Verse 14. So, when Jesus saw them, He said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went... They were cleansed. Now, why did Jesus hear the cries of these ten men above all the other hundreds or thousands of people who were following him? I don't know. No one knows but Jesus. These men were no more deserving of his miraculous power than anyone else in that crowd. Don't ever get to the point that you think that you're so super spiritual or you're so, so good in the things that you do that you're just deserving of God's mercy and, and grace. You're not, folks... No one, not me, not you, no one in the whole world deserves God's grace. No one deserves one ounce of His kindness. Finish this. For all have sinned and fall short of the what? Glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. All your righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. We are all undeserving of His love and favor. And yet, when we cry out from the heart for mercy, He hears us. He wants to hear us. Why did He hear those ten above all us? I don't know. Why did He hear the cry of little bitty Donnie Love it? I don't know. Why did he save me? Why has he blessed me? Why has he done so many wonderful things for me? I don't know because I'm not deserving of even one. But God is a God who is rich in mercy. Amen? Grace is something he wants to give. Grace is is undeserved favor, and mercy follows God's grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. When Jesus passed by these men, it was his grace that heard their cry for mercy and stopped to help them. As they obeyed his word, they found healing from their disease. As they went to the priest, they were all healed. But something happened that teaches us an important truth about the grace of God. As the ten men went to show themselves to the priest and obey the command of Jesus, their leprosy disappeared. And so did nine of the men. They disappeared. Verses 15 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Just as loudly as he cried, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. He cried out, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And he fell down his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Out of these ten men, it appears that nine were Jews and one was a Samaritan. We would expect the Jews to return and give honor to Jesus, actually. After all, Jesus was a Jew, but they disappeared. Only the Samaritan returned, and the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, like the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, another person of interest we studied, who received living water. So the Samaritan man, healed of his leprosy, received even more than healing from a deadly physical disease. He received real mercy, real forgiveness, real salvation. So Jesus answered, verse 17, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God, except for this foreigner? And he said to this man, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I like that word whole. Your faith has made you well, made you whole. All ten lepers were healed, but not all were saved. God's grace is shown to all, but not all receive his mercy and his forgiveness. Even though everyone experiences the universal goodness of God in some outward ways, only those who have real faith find healing and salvation within. In his commentary on Luke, Dr. Daryl Bach wrote, God blesses humanity in a general way, but only the responsive who appreciate what he has done in Christ receive his full blessing and acceptance. Among the ten former lepers, only the Samaritan hears the comforting words, Your faith has made you well. His gratitude has revealed his faith. Ten men. Nine received physical healing. One received spiritual healing. And that was the most important healing of all. Nine showed that they wanted something from Jesus so much they were willing to do what Jesus said. They went to the priest. But one showed that he wanted to honor Jesus willingly, and his actions showed love for his Savior. He returned to Jesus. Folks, that's our faith lesson today. All these people who say they follow Jesus, all these people who make a profession of faith, and then they go on their merry way. All these people get baptized, whatever, join a church, whatever. All these people. And then they disappear like the nine. But Jesus saw one return. And true faith, read it with me. True faith always returns to Jesus. Say it again. True faith always returns to Jesus. 
True faith not only obeys Jesus, it leads us to love and honor Jesus. I know we sometimes go astray. We wander from the perfect plan God has for our lives, but when our faith is true, it will always come back to Jesus. Like the prodigal son who left his father's security for a while. Because he was a true son, he came to his senses and he returned to his father. When we wander off on our own, away from God's will, and we live foolishly, it's true faith that reminds us we have a father who's waiting for us to return. True faith always leads us back to a place of repentance and reunion. Just look at this one leper who returned with true faith. Can you hear the joy in Jesus' voice as he says, Son, I'm glad you returned. Your true faith has changed your life. And that's real salvation, folks. Real salvation is a transformation in the way we think, act, and speak. When we are really saved, we're grateful for the cross and God's mercy. And we want to live in a way that brings honor to Jesus. Notice how this Samaritan fell on his face at the feet of Jesus and thanked him for the miracle. This man's life was completely changed. His words were changed. No more have mercy on me. Now it was thank you for your mercy. This man's life was changed. And he was not ashamed to fall down before Jesus and say, Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. His life was changed from leprosy to love. And he loved the one who showed him mercy. Do you love the one who has shown you mercy? You really love, do you really love him? I believe this man loved Jesus for the rest of his life. Because that's what real faith does. It always returns to Jesus. John said we love him because he first loved us. True love, true faith that gives us true love for Jesus wants to return to Jesus. It wants to stay with Jesus. And it wants to return his love through praise and energy and offering of ourselves. The more we love Jesus, the more we want others to love Jesus. That's real love for Jesus. And that's what it takes to be forgiven and receive his miracle of eternal life. But Jesus asked with sadness in his voice. Just hear the words of Jesus as he addressed this man of faith who returned. Jesus asked, is there only one who would return? Only one with true faith? Nine were healed. Only one was saved. And it breaks the heart of Jesus. Think about our world today, folks, a world sick with sin, a world not serving God, a world crying, not crying out for God's mercy. In many people, there is never a thought about God until there's some kind of tragedy, a death, a terrible diagnosis, a life-threatening illness. This may lead people to seek God, but such seeking is short-lived. It lasts only as long as there's a need, and then when the need is past, their thought of God and eternity disappears Oh, there might have been some thought of God, some prayer to God, but only one out of ten returns to follow Jesus and honor Jesus for life. Does that sound right to you in our world today? One out of ten has a real salvation? Today, I'm not even sure there's one out of ten. Are you? Not, I don't even know if there's one out of ten people who are true born-again believers because, because I really don't see one out of ten people honoring Jesus with words and actions of love and gratitude. How sad so many phony professions of faith, so many who cry out to God for help and, dis, and then disappear. Where are the nine, folks? Where are the nine? Where are they? 
Oh, how I wish we could see a revival of love for Jesus in our country today. A love that would bring people to church for worship again. Would bring people to their knees in prayer again. Would cleanse dirty hearts and dirty mouths and fill them with grateful praise. Would ignite a real passion to know God. How can you say you love Jesus when you don't do the things Jesus says to do? Even the nine followed Jesus' direction. What a better world we would have if people just loved Jesus the way they should. I pray for such a day. We should all pray for those nine that they would return. Those nine, those millions who have disappeared. We might not see great numbers again seeking God. We may not, but we can surely help the one hear the truth of the gospel and find Jesus. As we've received mercy so we should show it, mercy. Show others the mercy of God through our own, our own actions of love. All of us can sow seeds of the kingdom so that Jesus can take those seeds and plant those seeds in the hearts of those of the one who will receive those seeds by faith and be saved. One out of ten might not be many, but remember, if there was only one person on earth who needed mercy, Jesus would have still come to the world suffered, bled, and died on a cruel cross to pay for the sins of that one. I'm glad because I was that one. He loved me that much. You were the one. The one. And He loved you that much to die for you. He died for all so that one could be saved. Anyone could be saved. And today our Savior is still listening, waiting for that one to cry out for mercy and be saved. Paul said, for there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek or Samaritan. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever, read that with me, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. No one deserves the grace and mercy of God. Just as none of the ten lepers deserved mercy and healing, the one who was healed and returned to Jesus did not deserve Jesus' mercy, but Jesus deserved all his praise. When the one returned and praised Jesus, it was the right thing to do. The psalmist said praise is fitting for the upright. Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3.22, it's because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm so glad after a long day of battling the devil in a world of sin, his mercy is new every morning for me. I'm so glad that at times when I've acted foolishly and wandered away, his mercy is new every morning. We can always return to Jesus and find mercy. And because the man in this story received Jesus' mercy, he could show that mercy to others, and so should we. Amen? What Jesus made in this man was a new heart. The man was grateful for it. And what he's made in you, believer, is a new heart. And we ought to return and give him praise. Amen? So to illustrate how we often fail to give God the thanks he deserves, I read this little story. Chuck Swindoll told this following story of a man he visited in a veteran's hospital. He said, the day I arrived to visit, I saw a touching scene. The man had a young son, and during his confinement in the hospital, he had made a little wooden truck for his boy. 
since the boy was not allowed to go into the ward and visit his father, and orderly had brought the gift down from the father down to the child who was waiting in front of the hospital with his mother. The father was looking out a fifth floor window, watching his son unwrap the gift. The little boy opened the package and his eyes got wide when he saw his wonderful truck. He hugged it to his chest. And meanwhile, while the father was walking back and forth, waving his arms behind that fifth floor window, trying to get his son's attention, well, the little boy put his truck down and reached up and hugged the orderly and thanked him for the truck. And all the while, the frustrated father was going through these dramatic gestures trying to say, It's me, son. I made the truck for you. I gave it to you. Look up here. could almost read his lips, uh, Chuck said. And finally, the mother and the orderly turned the little boy's attention up to that fifth floor window. And it was then that the boy cried, Daddy! Oh, thank you, Daddy! I miss you, Daddy! Come home, Daddy! Thank you for my truck, Daddy! And the father stood in the window with tears pouring down his cheeks. How much, Chuck Swindoll said, how much like that child are we? Jesus did something for you that no one else could do. Through his death on the cross, he made a way for you to be forgiven of all your sins. Through his victorious resurrection and ascension, he made a way for you to have a place with him in heaven. Is Jesus today waving his arms at you? Is he through some person, through some song, through some circumstance, through this message even, trying to get your attention, saying, I did this for you. Return to me. With his own power, he made you a new heart and a new life, an eternal life. And every day we live, with every breath, with every step, with every word, with every action, our lives ought to be saying, Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Father, for making me new. Amen. Let's bow. Now, no one can answer this but you. Like the ten lepers, which one are you like? Are you like the nine who started to have faith, but all these things happened and you disappeared from sight? Or are you like the one who returned with a new heart filled with Jesus' love and mercy. And your life is spent bringing honor to Jesus. Which one are you like? Who do you know that needs Jesus? Out of all the people, who is that one for whom Jesus died that you could help point to Jesus? If you've been saved and forgiven, when people look at your life, do they see someone who is grateful to God for His mercy that is new every day? I know you've been wronged and you've felt like you've been trampled on by people, but do you offer mercy to others as Jesus has given it to you? Maybe today you're crying out for help. You're crying out for mercy. You're saying, Pastor Donnie, today I recognize I'm missing Jesus in my life. Well, I, let me help you. You've got to cry out 
from your heart. It's got to be a heart cry as loud as you can to Jesus and asking Jesus to forgive you for your sins and come into your life.